0: Oh, well, hi. Uh, of course. Have a seat. Uh, they're, they're not taken. So, oh, that's very kind. You, you liked the song. Well, well, thank you. Uh, no, no, I didn't write it. No, that was my friend Dave. Uh, yeah, he's, a, he's a great songwriter. He's also a really, really good guitar player. You know, he and I grew up together. We were kids. Uh, we, Tended sheep together. He was out caring for his dad's sheep and I was there with our family's sheep and we'd watch sheep all day and in the evenings sometimes we'd sit around the campfire and we'd jam together on our guitars. I remember thinking someday we might start a band, you know, our dads told us there was no money in that. Public enemy number one. That's what they call him today. That's what it says in all, you know, all the news reports, all those notices they post up in the town square, all those government funded heralds that go from town to town. They call him a subversive. They call him a traitor to the king, a dangerous man, threat to our country. Oh, yeah, I mean that David. Yeah, David, the son of Jesse. I, you know those are lies. He's none of those things. You don't really believe everything they tell you, do you? You know, I, I, I've often wondered, I wondered if if we ever had open access to all the news, I think it just might solve all our problems. What do you think? Just a thought. Anyway, I, I tell you, I've never known a guy more pure-hearted than Dave. Never known a man more loyal to our country or our king. It was a while ago, but I still remember it so well. It happened so fast. One day we were tending sheep together. The very next day, literally, he was a national hero. I remember we were out in the fields and his dad called him in. have a job for you you need to take some food to your brothers out on the front lines of the philistine war off he went somehow i don't know how he ends up in a in a man to man one on one duel to the death with the philistine's chief champion warrior goliath this big giant of a man by God's grace, Dave struck him dead. Really didn't surprise me. He was a tough guy. I remember seeing him take a lion on with his bare hands and kills a lion. That's my friend Dave. You know, I didn't see Dave again for many years. He was given a military command. He became the most successful general in all of our armies. He became best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. He married the king's daughter. He really was one of the most famous people. I think he was the most famous person in our country. Matter of fact, there were people writing songs about him, singing his praises of all of his victories. I wrote a few too. No, you never heard of them. Sorry. But all of those great things for Dave became a problem for him too. You see, there was a problem with our King. A lot of us saw it coming for a long time. See, he would usually use all the right words and he would do all the right things. But it was obvious that he had lost any real heart for God. Any real desire to govern and rule our land the way God wanted it done. And when that happens to a man, he begins to focus on himself. And he becomes easy prey for Satan to come and to tempt him and to manipulate him. I think it's a special problem for people who are rich, people who are powerful, because they can begin to feel entitled. You know, they deserve things. They become a slave to their own desires. They, they get so focused on getting what they want and keeping what they have. Sometimes they'll do foolish things, irrational things. And I think they tried to keep it quiet, but it became well known through the land. Saul was irrational. King Saul knew that God had rejected him from being king because he had rejected God. And I think that like those of us who were watching from the outside, Saul could also see from the inside that God was with David and not with him. And I think it made him all the more angry and jealous of David. It was clear to all of us as God's people, all of us who love the Lord, that if we're supposed to be God's people, that our king ought to have God with him. Our king ought to be a man who God was with. Our king ought to be David, not Saul. And I think that became clear to Saul as well. But when you're a prideful man, you don't just walk away from power. And so there was a crisis brewing in the palace. By the way, I've been thinking a lot lately. And I just think that if we had a system of government where just every so often we would take a vote or do something and, and choose our own leaders, I think that would solve all our problems. What do you think? Just a thought. Anyway, one day... Dave was playing his guitar for the king, which he often did. <laughs> it would soothe the king. He pleased him. In the middle of that, Saul erupts in this fit of fury and rage and he hurled a spear at David intending to kill him, pinning him against the wall. Somehow he ducked and Saul missed and David escaped that very night. David went home. Saul sent soldiers that surrounded his house and were going to take him captive, kill him that next morning. But his wife, you remember, that was Saul's daughter, helped him escape. David escaped. He ran away to Ramah, the city where the prophet Samuel lives, and and a number of the other prophets were there. There in Ramah, Saul heard he was there. He sent soldiers to go get him. Three times he sent soldiers, and every time they failed. Finally, Saul himself went with a band of soldiers. And for the fourth time, every single time, God miraculously, unmistakably, obviously, miraculously intervened to prevent them from getting to David. And you'd think Saul would, at that point would just give up. But he didn't. See, there's something about sin that I think just drives you to insanity. How can somebody rebel against God and see the unmistakable, powerful hand of God and still shake their fist at God and want to fight Him again? That's what sin does. And it's done it to our King. David's good friend, Jonathan, the king's son, then went to his dad and said, what are you doing? He tried to tell him that David is the most loyal man you've ever had work for you. He's a good man. He doesn't deserve your hatred and he doesn't deserve to die. You know what Saul did then? He took a spear and tried to kill Jonathan, his own son. Sin drives you insane became crystal clear at that moment that David would never be safe as long as Saul was king. He'd have to live life on the run, and so he ran. He was alone. He was hungry and tired when he reached the city of Nob, that little town that is the conclave of priests where the high priest Ahimelech lived and a lot of other priests. He didn't want to bring and, and involve these priests in the middle of this situation between Saul and him, and so he didn't tell him that Saul was seeking to kill him. Instead, he just asked for some bread. Is there any? Do you have any bread? Ahimelech, the high priest, gave him the only bread they had. It was the bread they had just removed from the tabernacle, the bread that they put out before God, and they had just replaced it with hot bread. and And he said. Here, this is all we have. And he gave them some loaves of bread. David then said, By the way, do you, do you happen to have any weapons here? He said, Well, there's only one weapon in this town. It's a sword. It's a sword that you took from Goliath. They'd kept it there as a as a trophy, a symbol of God's great protection deliverance. They had it wrapped up. He said, Here, it's your sword. So David took those things and he left he had other adventures that happened after that and eventually he ended up down in the wilderness to the south in the uh near the cave of Adulam it was there that some word got out to to his family that he was staying there and and uh, his mom and dad his brothers and some of his close friends I, I was part of that group we we went to go and stay with him we camped out with him It wasn't very long, people started coming from everywhere! Out of the woodwork, people who were disenfranchised from the system. People who were, who were poor, people who were oppressed, people who were in trouble, people who just were, were, were frustrated with the way things were going. Somebody, people who were hoping that some political outsider would come into the system and bring some change. Soon there was a whole bunch of us. Matter of fact, David had a small army, 400 men who would fight with him and for him. He was then, they were exciting days. We eventually moved and ended up staying in the forest of Horeth. Sometimes as we were camped out in the forest, I used to call us Dave and his band of married men. Because we were married, we really were happy guys. Despite being on the run, despite hiding, it, it was a group that was full of joy. Because David was a godly man. And his, his faith, his trust in God was infectious. We just knew God was doing big things, exciting things. And we had a front row seat to whatever God was going to do. They were exciting days. It was while we were there in the forest of Horeth, though, that we got some bad news. It was one night we were there and we were sitting around the fire and singing some praises to God and a stranger stumbled into camp. He was obviously exhausted and he was ragged, he was hungry, And he was obviously in shock. He was frightened. It took us a long time just to get him to talk. It turns out his name was Abiathar. He was the son of Ahimelech, the high priest. To make a long story short, that day that David had visited Ahimelech in that little town of Nob, there was somebody else there he was a servant of Saul. He, his name was Doug. He was the, the head of, of Saul's herdsmen. He's a foreigner. He's an Edomite. And he saw the whole thing. Sometime later, Saul was getting frustrated. He'd been wanting to capture David. He couldn't, couldn't get anybody to, to help him. He put a price on David's head. He published all these lies about David all through the nation, but people weren't ratting him out. Saul brought in all of his servants and he, he threatened them and he promised great rewards. And Doug the Edomite said, hey, I saw him. I was in Nob and I saw him there. And, and, and he not only told him what he saw, he made up some stuff too. He said, Ahimelech helped him. He made it seem like Ahimelech was in conspiracy with David and that Ahimelech was was appealing to God to help David against Saul. And so Saul summoned all of the priests. He summoned Ahimelech and and there were 85 priests that lived in Nob and he brought them all to the palace and he began to question them. He moved from questioning to accusing them and he wouldn't listen. to. They told the truth. Hey, we didn't know anything. We did what we always do and there's no more loyal servant to you than David. Why wouldn't we give him food and whatever he asked for? Saul wouldn't hear of it and somewhere in that time he turned to his soldiers and he said, kill them all. Not one soldier moved. Not one of them would dare to do such a dastardly deed they were God-fearing men. Who would kill the priests of God? When Saul saw that none of his own soldiers would move, he turned to Doug, that had sheep herdsman, and he said, You, kill him." And he did. Eighty-five priests of God. And the high priest himself struck them all dead. And he took some men with him and they went to the city of Nob and he killed every remaining man and every woman and every child and every infant and every ox and every camel, every donkey, every sheep. He killed them all. Except Abiathar somehow escaped. Now he's here, he's frightened. We were we were speechless, we didn't know what to say, we were heartbroken, we were devastated because we love God. We love his people. David especially was just overwhelmed with grief. We were crying. He, he told Abiathar, he said, I'm so sorry. He David felt so responsible. He said, I should have known when I saw Doug there. I should have known. <laughs> Somehow, bad things would come from that. He said, stay here, Abiathar, stay with us. How could someone do such a thing? And how could the King of God's people do such a thing? How could God allow such a thing to happen? So many questions. I just remember in the grief of that night, I remember thinking, what do we do now? I've always learned so much from my friend David. And I learned that night as he just went off, as he would often do, by himself to pray. He prayed and prayed and prayed. Sometime later, he pulled out his guitar. And he began to play a little bit. To sing a song. He actually wrote a song that night. It's that song I sang just a little bit ago. I've never forgotten it from that night. It's been almost ten years. King Saul is still on the throne. David is still on the run. I'm back home. I've had things I had to go back and deal with there. Every once in a while I sing here in this little cafe. I sang that song because it means so much. I still have lots of questions. Why? Why? But David's faith in our God is still strong and it's still infectious. And it's still an example for me. And the message of that song has stuck with me Every day, even to right now. We may not see it, but God is on the throne, and He's in charge, and the evil man will fall, and the one who trusts in God will prevail. Suicide bombers. Mass shootings. The deliberate targeting of police officers to shoot and kill. Deadly gases and poisons turned into weapons against innocent people. Taking machinery, trucks, planes, turning them into weapons. Hardly a week goes by where we don't hear about someone who has... Deliberately killed unsuspecting innocent people. Some in the name of religion. Some out of racial animosity. Some out of retaliation for some perceived offense. And some simply for a moment of or two of fame. Some have said that our world is safer today than ever. I don't ever recall hearing of things like this when I was young. Senseless killing, slaughtering of innocent people. It all testifies and demonstrates that there are evil people in this world. The reality is that sooner or later, most of us will bump into such a person. They may not come at us with a two-ton truck desiring to run us over. Or they may not physically look to kill us, to shoot us. They may not try to physically destroy us, but with malicious acts and through poison words delivered by pen or by mouth, they seek to create and inflict hurt and suffering. There are people like that in all of our lives. Sometimes it's a coworker, a neighbor, even a family member. How do we respond to evil people? Whether it's someone like that or whether it's evil in the world like we're seeing with ISIS and terror groups. How do we respond to evil in the world? Do we cower in fear? Do we become paralyzed by worry and fret? Do we seek revenge and retaliate? Or do we just sink into depression and hopeless despair? Either at the world situation or regarding our own personal situation. What do we do? Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 52. It's the Psalm that I referred to earlier as I told a little of the background to this Psalm. If you want to go back and check out to see if I told the story right, I encourage you to do that. Check it out. 1 Samuel chapters 17 through 22. Read the story. The beginning of this Psalm, the inscription there above the Psalm is part of the text. It tells us, who wrote the psalm and the occasion to the choir master, a mascal of David when Doug the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. David wrote this psalm after Doug went and talked to Saul and the the priests of Nob. There was a massacre of all the people of Nob. And David gets word when Abiathar comes into camp. And David sits down and writes this song. It's not a long one. Just nine verses. And so we'll read it all. But we only have just a few moments this morning. So I'm just going to focus on three big points in this psalm. The psalm easily divides into three parts and each part has a big point. So let me read the first part. Verses one through four. In these verses, by the way, we give insight into the character and the mind of an evil person. Verse 1, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right, and you love all words that devour Oh, deceitful tongue! The first big point of this psalm is that the evil man boasts of his evil. He loves it. He brags about it. There are evil people all around. And if you expect to see evil people feel bad about what they've done, prepare to be disappointed. Disappointed neither Saul nor Doug demonstrate any remorse at all of killing 85 priests of God, including the high priest. They show no remorse at all for slaughtering the rest of the people of the town of Nob. Men, women, children, infants. They show no remorse for all the the lies that they spread about David, and the injustices they do to David. And I think we can safely say that part of the, the point here is that we can expect when people do injustice to you, when evil people come against you, don't expect them to feel bad about it. You might even think at least they would feel ashamed of it. They'd want to cover it up, but instead, they want to brag about it. They go and post it on Facebook. If Doug had had Facebook, he would have had selfies. and You would have seen pictures of all the carnage posted all over the web, all over his Facebook site. David says, the evil people boast of their evil in verse 1. Verse 2, he says they, that they work at it. They spend time creating and prepping and planning evil. Evil people are creative in their evil. What are we going to do today? Oh, let's see. And they plot and they think, what are we going to do? They work hard at it. He says, you, verse 2, he says, you worker of deceit, you laborer of deceit, you, they work hard at it. They're not lazy about their evil. They spend effort. Evil people, verse 3, they love evil more than good. They love lying more than truth. They love all words that destroy. If it can hurt you, if it will hurt you, they don't regret it. They love it. To them it's sport. They enjoy seeing you suffer. Is it hard to believe there are people like that? But there are. Our world is full of them. David is just telling us what's out there. It's nothing new. It wasn't invented in the last five years or twenty years. Thirty-five hundred years ago, there were evil people who loved evil, who delighted in your suffering. That's point one. The evil man loves. He boasts of his evil. Point two, we find in the next verses, 5-7. through seven. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. And sought refuge in his own destruction. The second big point is that the evil man will be destroyed. Destruction is coming for the evil man. And it uses some very strong words here to describe it. God, and it says God himself does it. God will break you down, evil man. Evil man, God is going to snatch you. He's going to tear you. Again, very strong verbs, very visual verbs. Snatch and tear you from your tent. Indicating it's going to be sudden. It's going to be unexpected. When the evil man feels very secure. You know, you've heard evil people, wicked people say things like, Come on, God! Strike me dead! Send a lightning bolt! Come on! I dare you! Ah, See, there is no God you heard people like that? God is patient. The lightning bolt is coming. It just didn't come now. God will uproot them from the land of the living. He's going to take their life. This, this evil man trusted in the abundance of his riches and he sought refuge, it says, at the end of verse 7, in his own destruction. In other words, the very thing he lived for, the very thing he put his hope in, his evil, the very thing he enjoyed inflicting his evil on others will come back upon him. It's a little harkening back to the story you remember in the book of Esther, like Haman who is executed on his own gallows, the gallows he built to execute Mordecai. And that's the picture here. Exactly what they have been inflicting on others will come back to them because God is a just God. This section serves as a warning to the evil person. Judgment is coming. There's another part of this same section. The evil man will be destroyed, but the righteous is going to see this. The righteous person, it says, verse 6, shall see this. And he has two reactions. The first reaction of the righteous person when he sees the judgment of the evil is the righteous person that says will see and fear. See, righteous people always, the Bible tells us, have a fear of God. We understand that God is a holy God and a just God. And there is... An awe and a reverence that fills the heart of the righteous person. And when they see the justice of God that comes on the evil person, there is a fear. Rightly so. The Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And therefore, as those who fear God, Paul writes to the Corinthians, we who know what it is to fear God take seriously the reality that people need to hear the, mer- the message of God's mercy and grace. And so it moves us to be ambassadors for Christ. So the righteous has two reactions. The first is fear. The second, it says, The righteous shall see in fear and shall laugh at him. He said, Did I read that right? when they see the, the evil man being just, just snatched from his tent and crushed by the hand of God, the righteous person laughed. laughs. Oh, Did can you see that? <laughs> Is that really what it says? That just seems odd. It doesn't seem very Christian-like. You say it's not the sadistic delight and the glee at seeing somebody in misery and pain, it's not it. The laugh here is a laugh of joy. Two reasons. It's a laugh of joy because the righteous person is vindicated. A righteous person is shown to be what they really are, a righteous person. And the evil person is shown to be exactly what they are, an evil person who deserved judgment and got what they deserved. And there is vindication and the righteous person rejoices and laughs. Yes, the good one out and the evil was punished and we rejoice. We love movies that way. We love our stories that way when the evil is punished and the good triumphs because that's what we long for is justice. God is a God of justice. And we laugh when justice finally prevails. We also laugh because, and it's joy because, God is exalted. And this evil man who mocked God, who thumbed his nose at God and who trusted in Himself, is shown to be a failure and a loser and God is exalted as the holy sovereign of the universe. That's what it means when it says they laugh. And so this section not only is a warning to the evil person, it is a message and, a, and a, this little section is a, is a comfort and a joy to the righteous person. There is a day of justice coming and there's a day of joy coming because there's justice coming. And so, hang in there. Hang in there. There's a third section. David writes, verse, verse 8, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank You forever because You have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. The third big point is this. The one who trusts in God is victorious. He endures. David says, I'm like a green olive tree. That word green literally means to flourish. To be fruitful. I understand. This This analogy, this picture here, really doesn't resonate with us, at least with most of us, because most of us don't know anything about olive trees. We don't live where olive trees grow. I don't know anything about olive trees except what I read. Maybe some of you do, but olive trees, first of all, aren't very green, and that's why this, Like a green olive tree really doesn't get the picture. It's an olive tree that flourishes, one that prospers, one that is doing well. And it's in stark contrast to the evil person in the passage before, the one whose judgment comes quickly. You see, olive trees can live for hundreds of years. Matter of fact, there are olive trees that are over 2,000 years old. Now, I'm old, but that's really old. And, and an olive tree can be fruitful as long as it's alive. So a 2,000-year-old olive tree can still be producing olives as long as the olive tree is correctly pruned and cared for. And David says his point is that unlike the evil man whose end comes quickly, the righteous man endures like the olive tree for a long time, even forever and ever. And unlike the evil person whose life is going to end up being a total waste, all the successes he thought he had, all the power he thought he had, all of everything that he thought he had was a total waste. Gone like that, the righteous person is fruitful all through life and forever and ever. And David says, you see, I'm like a tree, olive tree and fruitful olive tree, a flourishing olive tree in the house of God. You see, because that's where the olive tree is cared for and pruned and, and taken care of so it produces and lives long. David says, verse 9, God has done it. God, You did this? I will thank You forever because You did it! It's not me. It's not because I'm a great warrior. It's not because I'm a really strong guy. not because I'm a really smart guy. If I succeed, Lord, it's because You do it. If the evil man is brought down, and he will be, it's because You do it, God, not because we've got a stronger army, not because we have better strategy, not because we have better leaders. If the evil man comes down, it's because God does it. David says, because of this, I put confident trust in You. Verse 80 says, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. David understood that God's steadfast, faithful love, Hesed love, is always, always at work in his life. He set it up back in verse 2 at the beginning, in the introduction, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord endures all the day. He doesn't mean that the steadfast love of God is good for one day. What his point is, is God's steadfast love never runs out, especially in the day of trouble. The evil man can't Conquer God's steadfast love. The evil man can't overcome it. The evil man can't thwart it. He can't get around it. He can't get over it. He can't get under it. God's steadfast love holds us in the evil day. Like Paul wrote, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing. And so David says, I'm resting in the steadfast love of God. No matter the evil guy who has come against me, I'm safe. I'm secure. And I'm going to put my trust in Him. I will wait for Your name. He says, God, Your name is good. You sign Your name to it. Every promise You have ever made, You will deliver on. Nobody can stop You. And so I'm going to rest in You. Isn't that good to know? God will do what He says. So how do we handle Living in an evil world, we recognize there are evil people, really evil folks. The evil man will be destroyed, but the one who trusts in God will endure and will be victorious. One final note, because we still wonder why does God allow evil people to oppress righteous people? Why did God allow Saul to come against David? Why did He allow that massacre at Nob? Why does God allow our brothers and sisters today, all over the world, millions of them to be oppressed, to be persecuted simply because they love Jesus? Well, He doesn't give us the answer here. The answer isn't here. He just says we need to trust God's steadfast love. But we read earlier, if you recall, we read from James chapter 1. Remember what it said? So count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials or trials of many kinds. Why? Remember, it's because God is at work in them. He's He's producing through the trials. He's growing in us. Patience. He's growing in a godly character and virtue. He's making us more like Jesus Christ. You see, I think that's part of the imagery David is intending here in this psalm. Where in the midst of the evil man and the oppression by the evil man, David says, I am like a flourishing olive tree. An interesting thing I read about olive trees, you see, is that they don't grow well In good soil. Olive trees thrive in rotten soil. Rocky, harsh soil. You put an olive tree in good soil, you know what happens to it? It becomes prone to disease. You put an olive tree in good soil, you know what, we want to plant all of our other crops in, and, and it doesn't produce. You put an olive tree in rocky, dry ground, and it thrives. And I think that's the imagery. None of us likes trials and difficulties. But like fruitful olive trees, it is the rocky soil of trials. It's it's when we're in that rocky soil that we become most fruitful and that we flourish best as His people. It's when we're in the trials that What comes out of the trial is something like Psalm 53 or the song that Stephanie sang so beautifully. When peace like a river attends my way or (laughs) when sorrows like sea billows roll. That song was written in a devastating time of loss by Horatio Spafford. And out of that he comes out and says, Whatever my lot you've taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. And the roots grow deep. And the fruit grows strong. When we trust the steadfast love of God. Father, we need to hear that. Because we live in a world where sometimes it looks like the world is falling apart and evil people are winning the day. It shouldn't surprise us because Your Word says in the latter days people are going to move from bad to worse. Sometimes, Father, it's not the world situation. It's our personal situation. Evil, An evil person or evil people are tormenting us. At times we're tempted to... Sink into despair or into revenge. You've called for us to trust your steadfast love. Lord, may we do that in the times of good and the times of evil. And then may what come come out of us be the blessed fruit of righteousness, the fruit that brings honor to you. Lord, we need to be fruitful people as those who do understand that there is a judgment coming for evil. We need to be those who are sharing the blessed grace that is available through trust in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, may we be folks who spill out the fruit of grace even to evil people that they might come to know Christ. And this we ask in Jesus' name.